Well, good morning and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Uh, we are still in our Unqualified series, and I thought I would introduce you to or reintroduce you to uh, another woman in the Old Testament, a character uh, who had reason to ask the question, why me? Uh, uh, very different from the Shunammite woman that we covered last week in 2 Kings. Last week, I told you uh, we, we re-entered that story, which is in the story of the prophet Elisha. Um, and she said, why me? Why this loss? Why this tragedy? Why this trial? And it's similar this week, but it's also different. Um, we're going to talk about a woman who we find in the book of Hosea. And if you haven't read the book of Hosea, um, you can read the whole thing in one sitting. It's a little bit lengthy, but um, I recommend that you do that sometime. Uh it is uh, a, about this prophet named Hosea, but key and central to the story is a woman named Gomer. And so today we're going to talk about her. And she might say, as part of this unqualified series, she might say, why me, uh, in a different way. And I think the reality of the question, why me for her, is why do you love me? How could you even love me? And we'll get into that in just a minute. So a little bit of background, the book of Hosea, uh, was written almost 3,000 years ago. And scholars generally say that this, this, this book, this story, is one of the most confusing texts in the whole Old Testament. It, it really only begins to make sense and kind of hold together at all after you've read the whole thing. And there's 14 chapters of it. And so in lieu of that, and in lieu of everybody's attention span online these days, uh, I'm going to summarize this story for you today by just giving us some selected texts, okay? So we're gonna start in Hosea chapter one, uh, right at the beginning, verses two and three, and then we're going to go on from there. Well, it says this uh, in, that, in that section of scripture. The first time God spoke to Hosea, he said, now this is kind of like, if the kids are around, you might wanna hit pause and, and or turn down the volume. Um, this stuff is in the Bible. And uh, I, it's, I find it kind of funny today when Christians are like, um, I'm not gonna watch that particular movie or that particular thing. Obviously, there's some things we shouldn't be watching for sure, but um, uh, or listening to definitely. But uh, I find it ridiculous, to be honest with you, when some Christian says, "Okay, you can't. My, I'm not going to let my kid watch Harry Potter or even read that book or something else like that." Um, but they'll let them read. They'll let them read or watch uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that. And I'm like, "Have you read your Bible? Because in your Bible, <laughs> there's some stuff that like." Whoa, like when my when my son read through his action Bible and it includes stories like this, he's like, Dad, I didn't learn this in Sunday school because all the children's curriculum skims over or skips these parts. But they're in our Bible. And um, that might be a good plug for you to join our Bible reading program <laughs> that we're doing right now, the Read Through the New Testament initiative. Go check that out on our blog. Anyway, back to the story. This is what he says. Are you ready for it? God says this to Hosea. Find a whore and marry her. Maybe you weren't ready for that. Find a whore and marry her. Make this whore the mother of your children. And here's why. This whole country has become a whorehouse, unfaithful to me. God. And then it says in verse 3 simply, Hosea did it. He picked Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. She got pregnant and gave him a son. A little while over later, it says, Then God ordered me, start all over. Love your wife again. 
your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. No more whoring, no more sleeping around. You're living with me and I'm living with you. A little while later in Hosea 11, when Israel was only a child, I loved him. I called out my son, called him out of Egypt. This is God talking, called him out of Egypt. But when others called him, he ran off and left me. He worshiped the popular sex gods. He played at religion with toy gods. Still, I stuck with him. But he never acknowledged my help, a couple verses later, but he never acknowledged my help, never admitted that I was the one pulling his wagon, that I lifted him like a baby to my cheek, that I bent down to feed him. A little while later, God says, how can I give, give up on you? How can I turn you loose? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I'm not going to act on my anger. I'm not going to destroy you. Why? Because I am God. I'm the Holy One, and I'm here in your very midst. The people will follow the Lord. The Lord, he will roar like a lion and his children will come trembling. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when God called Hosea to be a prophet, let's just say it was a little bit different than the way he called all the other prophets. <laughs> so what we see happening here is God is taking Hosea and he's turning him into a living breathing parable for what's going on between God and his people. And parables always teach something key about God himself. Part of the story, um, an analysis of it, of you, if you will, is this. Gomer is like a city without walls. She is defenseless against her own passions and desires. So she goes and she pursues those desires. She has no defense. She doesn't know how to fight against those passions. Maybe you know somebody like that. Do you? Do you ever feel like that? That maybe that's you? Uh, we see other examples in the scriptures. Psalm 18, King David writes this about this, uh, this very type of idea. He says, my enemy who was too strong for me, he feels unable to cope with whatever that is something internal that he's dealing with. So in this story, Hosea marries Gomer and she is repeatedly unfaithful to him. She bears him three children. At least one of them isn't his. And we know that because he calls one of the children Laomi, which means not mine. And it gets worse. She leaves him to go get what she wants. She says, I'm going to get my lovers if I want to, regardless of what you are and what you're doing, how you treat me. I'm going to do what I want. She ends up eventually with a man who abuses her and Hosea tries to get her back, but she won't come. She's not willing to admit the seriousness of what she's going through. And then an amazing thing happens. God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to show your love to your wife again, even though she is sleeping around. And so he has to buy her freedom. What's not said here in the context is, is, is if, she, if he had to buy her like a slave, it means that her lover or her, whoever she's with, a group of lovers, whatever it is, they are selling her. They are, this, the way to think about this, even though it sounds really bad, is that they are pimping her out in today's vernacular. They are 
she is being sex trafficked is what is going on here. And finally, she is of no use to them anymore. So they are selling her like used goods, like property. I know it's awful to think about. So she's in the marketplace, probably naked. And they're like, she's for sale now. So imagine Gomer, she feels worthless. She is up there when the bidding starts. And she hears all of these voices calling out amounts or they're calling out an amount like at an auction and men are going, yeah, yeah, or whatever. And she starts to hear these voices and then she hears a familiar voice. And this voice keeps on bidding no matter what the amount is. And she recognizes that this voice is willing to, to pay whatever it takes. And he does. And then he walks up and he takes her by the hand and instead of treating her like a slave, he covers her and he gives her back her dignity and he leads her away from the crowd and then she sees who it is and it's Hosea, her husband, and he has purchased her back. Now, imagine what she's thinking after the way she's treated him and after she's been treated this way by all these other men. How? In the world could you show me this kindness why would you cover me up how could you even love me how can you even look at me you've bought me as a slave she's probably thinking this is just a trick he's gonna kill me or he's gonna he's gonna abuse me or he's he's gonna get back he's here for revenge he's gonna he's gonna tyrannize me but what happens if you if you read the story he leads her away and he says, I don't want you to be my slave. That's not why I bought you. I want you as my wife, but I don't want you to sleep with another man. And I'm not gonna sleep with another woman. We are not for sharing ourselves. I bought your freedom so that I could give it to you. I bought your freedom. And you can hear the overtones in here, the foreshadowing of what God does on Jesus on the, with Jesus on the cross. I bought your freedom so you can have true freedom and give it to you. What I want is for us to belong to each other exclusively. Gomer, I want you to be my wife. I want you as my love, as my lover. And what does she do? Was she transformed? Was she melted by his love? Did she get back her dignity? Did she become a city with walls and learn how to have her own strength and, and defenses and say no to her passions and desires? Did she change? Or did she laugh in his face and say, sucker, I'm gonna do whatever I want? Well, if you read the story, we don't know. We don't know, we never find out. How's that for an ending? I think it's, I think it's brilliant, actually. Now, a couple of things before we go on. Here's question number one. Do you have other loves besides God, besides Jesus? Do you have other lovers? Do you have other loves? I know I have. I've had other loves. Whatever it is for you, it has to do with where that is in your heart. What's wrong with this is when, you're when you have this fascination with whatever this thing is, whatever it is, and that fascination then takes over your willpower and your life and your day-to-day, -day, something that maybe you're thinking about all the time. 
What things in your life is God saying to you? These are other loves and you've got to let them go. They are a distraction from me. They have no place in your life and they have no place in your heart. The second observation and kind of question about this is Gomer is not willing to admit the serious of her situation and her condition in the story. It's like, it's, and, and we're familiar with this because we know that we have other loves and we know that we do things that we shouldn't do, but then we don't figure out a way to stop doing them. It's like you're walking along in a field and then that field leads to streams and then those streams lead to water. And as you're walking in the water, it gradually gets deeper, but you're still walking through it. And it's getting deeper so gradually that you don't really recognize it's getting deeper, but you do recognize it's getting deeper. And then the clear water turns to murky water and the murky water starts to turn to muddy, boggy water. And then it starts to stink. And the whole while it's still getting deeper. And then you realize that this is sewage that I'm basically up to my neck in. And if I turn around, and it, it's really difficult and I don't remember how I got here and I don't know which way to go. And if I take a step in one direction, I could sink to where I can't breathe anymore. And then you realize you have a rope tied around your waist and it's trailing off behind you back the way you came. And finally, realizing the peril you're in, you begin to pull on that rope and get your way back little by little. And that's probably what it was like for Gomer. That's what it's like for you and me. When we follow these other loves in our lives and we don't follow God. And to be sure, when you're out there, when you're out there in that muck and you're submerged up to your neck, God is still with you. He just can't be, he just can't bear to be near you when you're choosing to be with those other loves. And he's saying, look, I'm with you. I'm always for you. I'm in your court. I'm, I'm behind you. I've got your back, but I'm holy and I can't be over there with that thing that you're, that you're dealing with, that other love. You can't drag God into that mess, but he's still attached. He's there. He's there. Now let's pick up the story. Uh, with the children in the story, because they had kids. Hosea and Gomer had kids. You probably won't be surprised by this, but how do you think home, uh, Hosea and Gomer's uh, kids end up? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're messed up a little bit. Hosea's relationship with his wife and children is running in parallel with God and his people. It's, 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 a, it's a metaphor, basically. He says, Israel was my son. He was my son. I taught him to walk, but now he doesn't even know me. God says, I gave him everything. I love him. And now he's rejecting me. My children are turning away from me and they're on, they're on the path to destruction. He says in the text that we read earlier, he says, how can I give you up? My heart is changed uh, from, from me wanting to, to exact revenge and wrath on you to I can't do that. Uh, other versions, you know that word, my heart is changed in there. Other versions, when you read them, I, I like them better. If you go to Bible Gateway and type in this, this section of scripture in Hosea, you can put up parallel text in other versions and some of them use different words. I like the ones that say his heart churns within him. His heart recoils from what he wanted to do because he's having compassion. It's like we can see God himself crying out and feeling defeated. The word here in Hebrew is refak. Refak, it means overthrown. God is saying, 
when he says my heart has changed, he's like, my heart is being torn into pieces over this. And then we read that God says, I'm not going to give you up. What I will do is roar, but I won't roar in a way that destroys you. He says, I'm going to roar in a way that brings you trembling. Trembling here is a really good word in Hebrew. It's the, it's the word hered. It's it, it means you will become melted. Maybe your version that you're reading says that. You will be softened. I'm going to roar kind of like Aslan in the, Nar in the Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia. When he roars, people are frightened, but then they realize that he loves them and they're melted. He says, I'm going to make you my lover again, like in the case of of Hosea and Gomer. And I'm going to make you like my children again, like the case of Hosea's kids. He says, I'm going to make you return to me. And when you do, you will be softened. That's the parable. That's the story. God's saying, when you are far away from me, when you hide from me, when you put other things before me, when you love your sin and you love your stuff more than me, when you prioritize your idols, whatever they are, God says, I'm like a husband whose wife has left him. And I'm like a father whose children have rejected him and who are destroying themselves. And unless, unless you understand that, he's like, you're not going to understand my love for you. You won't understand how my heart works. And I'll keep coming after you no matter how far you stray. No matter how far you stray. No matter how far you and how deep you wade out and sink, no matter how foul your life with other lovers and other addictions is, God says, I am the husband and I am the dad who wants you back. I will roar for you, hooray, and you will be melted and softened. God's love is not like any other kind of love. It is not just affection and sentimentality. This is the love that forged the universe. There are a lot of things about this love that we learn in this parable, but I would just like to leave you with this one and a question to ask. Is this type of love, is it too difficult for you to grasp and accept? Is it too sophisticated? I want to come at this by the way of the children metaphor. Parents, have you noticed that your kids, they don't understand your love fully? Kids, until a certain point in their development, their love is basically one dimensional. But your love as a parent, as an adult, is, has many dimensions to it. You're like, no, I'm not going to buy you that video game for $80 or that new gaming system for $500. And they think you don't love them. I know I'm not going to buy you that phone when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. That's stupid. You don't need that phone. You don't need it. Or I'm just going to buy you the phone that lets you dial three numbers and two of them are me and mom and one of them is grandma and that's all you get. You don't need it. It's, there's no reason for it. Um, they think when you do that, that you don't love them for a little bit. Not, they're not understanding also other dynamics like uh, if I buy you that $80 video game, then we don't pay a bill this month. Or I, I'm trying to save up so that I can buy you new clothes because you're growing out everything. You need new shoes like every every six months, you know. They don't understand that, that you love them so you want to provide that for them so they can't have this. Do you remember when you were a kid when summer seemed 
to just go on endlessly. My kids and I love watching, my whole family, we, Beth and I and the kids, we love this Disney show called Phineas and Ferb, which is basically about these two cartoon brothers and their sister and everything they do all summer long. And it's just brilliant writing. We just love it. Um, and it's basically about all summer long, they do a different thing every day that's just amazing, right? And I remember being like that when I was a kid, thinking that the summer, summer vacation just felt like forever. It just, it was great. And in, in fact, it was so long that it was like, okay, I'm ready for it to be done almost. But kids are like that. They can't see the horizon. They can't see past the horizon. Um, but grown up love, on the other hand, is really farsighted. It sees beyond the horizon. Children don't understand their limitations either. The freedom they want sometimes, it could destroy them. It could be really bad for them. So a parent's love is deep and it can say, because of my love, no, you don't get to do that. And even though you don't understand it, and even though you are like whining and wailing and screaming and crying <laughs> and, and trying to be manipulative about it, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna agree to that because I do love you. It's a bit too sophisticated for kids to understand sometimes because it's so deep. And when you think about how God is and how he loves you, how do you say it? Well, like this. Well, he has all the power in the world and the ability to do anything. And I prayed for him, but he didn't do this and he didn't do that. And he did this for that person, but he didn't do it for me. And he did that for that person. And I haven't experienced any of that. He doesn't really love me. If that's how you see his love, then maybe his love is a little too sophisticated for you. Uh, let's be honest, his love is too sophisticated for us sometimes as mere mortals. What does a good parent do when the child doesn't understand? When they don't understand and you're gonna, you're gonna say, this is the way it is and you're gonna do what it is you're gonna do and your children, you don't like it. You end up saying something like, that's the way it is. But more often than not, we say, just trust me, trust me. If you obey what I'm asking you to obey, or if you just agree to what I'm asking you to do, you'll see the good that's gonna come your way. And when you grow up, you won't have to unlearn things that need to be unlearned. God is like us, like that with us. God tells us to repent of all of these other loves in this parable, this living parable of Gomer and Hosea. Another way of saying it is grow up and understand this sophisticated love a little bit more. And when we don't understand, then we, we just have learned to trust and obey what he says. If we don't grow up though, we're gonna end up resentful and bitter like a brooding child who doesn't quite get it. So back to Gomer and Hosea. Gomer didn't understand Hosea's life and his love it was too sophisticated for her. She didn't understand that when she was running away and finding her other loves, that his love was unchanging. It wasn't fickle. It wasn't sentimentality. It was a choice. It was unfailing. She was oblivious that he was still waiting for her, still providing for her, keeping her alive. What she did know, what she knew deeply was that there was no basis for that kind of love to be given to her. There was no reason whatsoever by which she was qualified to receive that kind of love. Just like you and me. She knew that when it came to being loved, to being someone's treasure, someone's joy and delight, she was completely unqualified. That's what she knew. But guess what? She was wrong. She was wrong. 
And if you ever think that you are unqualified for God's unchanging, unfailing love, you would be wrong too. Remember this story, this parable about God's love and what it's like. Remember first and foremost that it's about God's unreasonable, unfathomable, unconditional love for you. May his love not be too sophisticated for you. Amen.